Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello there and welcome to another Eurogamer newscast and it is the end of a very long uh, I guess fortnight of not E3 bits and pieces which we're going to talk about rehash and also uh, give our opinions on this year's E3 not E3 all together which has been another summer mess of games. Joining me as ever is the Eurogamer <laughs> news reporter team. We've got Ed Nightingale. Hello. Victoria Kennedy. Hello. And Ishraq Subhan. Hello. And I'm Tom Phillips. And uh, we've obviously talked about Summer Game Fest previously in last week's episode. There's no need to go through all of that again. PlayStation as well was sort of tenuously part of all of this. Um and in the time since, we've had Microsoft and Bethesda, PC gaming, we've had Capcom do stuff. And actually, as we record this um, on Thursday afternoon, we are still to get the last little dribble from um, Final Fantasy and Dragon's Dogma tonight. Conveniently, both scheduled for the same time, which is <laughs> fun. Um, but it's basically done, as far as we know. And it's been a very busy couple of weeks. Things are a, a bit different without the physical E3 to sort of conglomerate everything together in one big um, blob. But uh, we've certainly seen a lot of games and uh, some of them have been quite good, even if not all of them are out this year. Ed, uh, as we come to hopefully the end of the <laughs> not E3 period, um, what are your thoughts on how it's all played out? And we've had lots of different conferences um, rather than sort of three or four big main ones, which everything gravitates around. How have you found that sort of keeping track of everything that's been announced? Yeah, it's been tricky because like you say, there have been a lot of shows and I do miss when you knew that, bam, today's Xbox, bam, today's PlayStation, bam, today's Nintendo, and you could go through and just distinctly see what everyone is announcing. Um, it's been a bit of a jumble, and I guess maybe it's a nice surprise to see, oh, well, what's going to come up in, in this one? Um, but it does feel like everything has been a bit of a blur. I feel like that is as much down to the games in the industry as it is the structure, um, in that, you know, every triple a game is who can make the biggest open world and every indie game is trying to be stodgy valley with a frog and a witch school um like everything feels like it's really samey so watching some of these conferences i feel like all the games are just rolling into one long blur of space horror and frogs um but i do feel like it's it's dragged on a lot over the last couple of weeks um and when it's just trailer after trailer after trailer a lot of which isn't showing off a huge amount of gameplay. It's really, I mean, especially for us as journalists, it's really hard to sort of analyze that and get a feel for really what these games are about, as opposed to just 
watching a trailer like the rest of the world does. Um, and, you know, with all these trailers, it just it's really hard to just get a sense of really what is happening in a lot of these games. Yeah, we've had a few couple of hands-on and a couple of sort of interview opportunities because there was a physical side to Summer Game Fest. Um, Martin Robinson, our editor-in-chief, was out there this week. But it was a very limited show and uh, a lot of publishers, as you say, aren't ready to show more or um, they don't want the distraction of flying somewhere at this point when they're already behind schedule of where they are. You can see that from the 22 release schedule um, if you look at it in terms of what there is to expect this year. It's less than we're expecting, no Starfield, etc. Uh, and a lot coming at the beginning of 2023, which people are maybe just holding back from showing more of at the moment. Um, Victoria, obviously, you know, we this is our jobs to cover this kind of stuff. Um, so it's our, it's our jobs to sort of pay attention to it. But if you were, um, you know, a fan of games, would you know where to go for all of these different um announcements that we've had and uh how many of you sort of been trying to keep on top of there was there's been about a dozen i if i was watching purely from like um a spectator rather than a professional i would not have a clue and i would probably i mean if, if i was watching just for my own personal pleasure rather than for my job i would just be looking at a game that i was excited about and then i'd probably google that game and find the trailer directly through, I don't know, Xbox or PlayStation, rather than finding it through a Summer Games Fest showcase. Um, because it has been, as you've already said, it's been quite an erratic, spread out situation, which, as you guys have already said, we've kept on top of because that's our job. But just as an average viewer, I don't think they would have been tuning in to all of them like we have. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule for the past weekend and there were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 shows between Thursday and Sunday. Um, and a lot of those were... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because so, all those... Upload like... VR, Summer Game Fest, Devolver Digital, IGN Expo, Netflix, Epic Games, Tribeca, Freedom Games, Guerrilla Collective, Wholesome Games, Future of Play, Netties, Future Games, Microsoft, Bethesda, PC Gaming Show, Guerrilla Collective, Capcom... <laughs> I think Gorilla did too, and that really confused me because we were talking about one Gorilla Collective, and I was like, I didn't see that, and then it's because it was the other one that I was watching. Like, it's just I don't get <laughs> it. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a really difficult time for games, indie games especially, because there's so many different shows for them to appear in now, and I and I feel like more than ever that it's just an opportunity for um, things to get lost, and I I don't know what indie game, you know, that there'll be the occasional indie game. We'll talk about a few that have caught our eye in a bit. Um, that will break out but I, I, I just struggled to know what they're getting out of putting a trailer in another two hour long small presentation well, so I thought it was a bit odd. after a week of them I know we, we covered this uh, last week so I won't go too much into it but obviously they had the Summer Games Fest and then they did Day of the Devs but it was kind of like after everything else had finished and so that was just a whole other thing that was kind of not really very prevalent I didn't think yeah it's like that you want to schedule it after you want to schedule your show after something big that's already got people watching but uh yeah it, it had been two hours at that point and i completely appreciate yeah. if people who didn't have to watch this stuff for their jobs just thought no i need to go eat now <laughs> or play some games <laughs> or okay, it's good to bed. yeah i will yeah. say something yeah. like wholesome games does give a platform to a lot of indie games that probably wouldn't normally be shown i think when you look at the summer games first as we mentioned last week there were lots of 
very adult, gritty space horror games. And those more sort of wholesome, cute games that are indie, usually really small teams, often passion projects, don't get shown in that kind of showcase. So to have the wholesome games that makes those things visible, I think is is lovely that they that they get shown, which they wouldn't normally have done. Um, but at the same time, lumping them all together into one thing just became this blur of cuteness that, that I, I could not tell you a single game that came out of that. Yeah. The big showcase that we've had since we talked last time was Xbox and Bethesda. Ishrek, I think you watched that, right? Um, what were your thoughts on that? Because uh, I think it's worth sort of just quickly mentioning that that happened and, and it was a packed show, right? It was definitely stronger, I think, than Sony's lineup and also the Summer Games Fest, just because there was so sheer a sheer number of games. Plus, you had the Bethesda stuff, um, so I think there was a lot of quality stuff there. Um, we got our first extensive look at Starfield, Redfall as well. Um, so people were really anticipating that. You also got a few smaller titles there as well. I mean, it was probably the strongest event of this month, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it was it was a good showing. Obviously, um, I think we talked about this before, and I said what they need to do and what I think they did end up doing. So, if you were listening to the Eurogamer newscast, Microsoft, well done. Uh, <laughs> please send the check in the post. You need to shore up your twenty twenty two lineup because all those people who were expecting Starfield this year who have Game Pass um, will want to know what they're going to get for their subscription money, but. It did also, you know, apart from the lovely medieval game from Obsidian, uh, whose name escapes me, like Penta, Pentagast, yeah, yeah, yeah. what was it called? Hang on, that one. I have it up. Um, I have it up. Uh, that, uh, that is Microsoft's Pentiment. only Pentiment. first... Pentiment, thank you. Pen- yeah, that's what it is, yeah. <laughs> that is Microsoft's only first-party release this year. And they've only got that because they bought Bethesda. It really did. You know, as much as they stuffed it full of things and basically every trailer in that showcase, right, was um, available on Game Pass, whether it mm-hmm. was a Microsoft game or or third party. Uh, it, it did show that this year, basically, Microsoft have just not had anything to to release. Where was Hellblade? You know, I was really confused about that. Um, yeah. And where, where was, uh, well, a lot of their projects are further off, but. I was expecting a bit more. I read an article uh, and it was an opinion piece and it said the real winner of uh, this non-E3 has been Game Pass owners. Like it's not actually been independent studios or developers, it's the Game Pass owners because everything is, you know, third party or first party is coming. Like that was the highlight for a lot of people. I do think it was good as well, well, that that image that was in the presentation that went round with, here's everything in 2022, here's everything the first half of 2023. That just really laid out really distinctly and explicitly these are the games coming and yeah that was good i i, I think that so many people had questions about well, what's coming to game pass should i even keep my subscription and when you look at all of that you're like yeah that's worthwhile that's a decent slate of games coming it might not be the big games you know first party games coming you know next month but there is still a lot to look forward to and i think they have answered yeah. as, as tom said i think they've answered a lot of the questions that people had um, about what was coming. And they did carefully use that line, everything they showed in the showcase is coming within the next 12 months. Yeah. So I think they are at least getting currently. people, show, show, showing people, yeah, currently, <laughs> we don't know what happens in a few months, but um, 
I think they are still trying to reiterate that Game Pass is still the best value for money in, in gaming right now. And I think that's still true. Yeah. Yes. But it would be even better value for money if they put more first-party <laughs> games in it this year. So as everyone's learning from Cyberpunk, though, aren't they? Like, no one wants to release a game in that state ever again. And so I... Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely pro people delaying a game and getting it done right rather than, you know, rushing it out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So So we should talk about the big game at Microsoft show and really one of the, the, probably the biggest game of the entire Fortnite, Starfield. Uh, We got a really good, long, hard glimpse at Starfield. Um, Gameplay in engine stuff, look at its world. We subsequently heard a fair bit from Bethesda about various things how it will play you can't fly from ground to space but that's fine you didn't need to anyway says todd howard uh (laughs) it was um it was the thing that everyone was expecting to be there and the thing that everyone was really looking forward to seeing but i think it's fair to say that the response has been a little more mixed than we were expecting um and it's interesting you know hearing you say that victoria people like developers cannot release another game in that situation that Cyberpunk released in, and I and I I wonder what the feedback would be or is internally now, having had Starfield be shown. Um, looking at some of the responses that have come out of Summer Game Festival E three or whatever you want to call it uh, towards that game, but surely uh, Ed, I'll ask your opinion. Um, it vindicates the decision for it to not be coming out in four months time don't you think yeah i mean it is it's clearly the biggest game that they have it's um it's a really important release for xbox and they can't afford for that to go wrong so i think that pushing that back um to make sure that it is the best version of that game that it can be i think is absolutely the right decision um and i've read things as well about now that we've got game pass you know, Xbox is less beholden to the typical release schedule. So, you know, they have sort of this Netflix model of just content coming constantly to Game Pass. They don't necessarily have to have a big game at Christmas to sell copies of that game because people have already subscribed to Game Pass and have been giving them money for however many months. So it's maybe, you know, they're slightly less beholden to that to that schedule. It's obviously a shame that it's not coming out sooner, but I think that game needs more work. And um, I think that it's right that it should be delayed. So I'm I'm more than happy to to wait longer for that. What is interesting? Sorry, Mishrak, you go. I I was going to say because I mean their last major release was Fallout 76, and that was also the most ambitious game ever, uh, as Todd Howard always always likes to tell us. And that was a disaster. So I think they just they just couldn't risk another disastrous launch um, because of. How much it hurt the reputation, really, of Fallout 76. And the game is significantly better now with content updates, but it would have been much... You know, people still have that impression in their head of, of a broken game. So I think they have no choice but to delay it, I, I, especially because if Fallout 76 was, was ambitious, Starfield's like 100 times bigger. Like, Well, 1,000 times bigger if you're talking about the number of planets <laughs> that are going to be in Starfield. What do we, uh, yeah. what do we think of... Ishra, what do you think of that claim... What, do you, what are those planets um, going to be like, do you think? <laughs> this is such a Todd Howard quip. Like, I think he did it with Fallout as well. It's like, oh, you're like, it's like, 
the biggest thing ever. So I, I mean, it's obviously like not all those plans are going to be handcrafted with, with, with designers. I think a lot of them will be computer generated, a bit like No Man's Sky. I, 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 I get that sort of feeling. Um, so I, I think there probably are, there probably is a thousand planets in it, but if it, if like I don't think there's there's much substance or detail in those planets apart from like the few hub worlds which I presume are going to be in the game, um, so yeah I think it's just a Todd Howard quip to like oversell. I mean he did say whenever they were introducing he did say like some of them will be quite barren because when they did the little like mm. sort of pan what? over some planets he said I'm I'm being generous <laughs> but. He did say, like, you know, from, like, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, like, you know, full-on metropolis to a barren ice plain. Like, he has said that, you know, not all of these planets are going to be hustle and bustle with everything tucked away in little nooks and crannies. So The question is, is the ratio between barren planets and very well-detailed hub planets? And I think there's going to be a lot more barren planets than there are going to be. I'm sure I read that there are going to be four major cities, and I don't know if that is the limit of where they're going with that. I, I presume there will be other handcrafted planets, but I mean, four out of a thousand isn't a great ratio. So there's, <laughs> yeah, that does seem very small. New, there's New Atlantis. I remember they spoke about that one. Yeah, the biggest city. Well, yeah. you, could say that, you could say that it's accurate. You know, if you took a thousand planets, then, you know, I would say probably <laughs> less than four of them would have detailed habitat, habitational uh, settlements on them. Habitable? So, yeah, that's the one. Habitats. Habitable. It's been a long two weeks. <laughs> we write because yeah. we can't talk. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> why, Victoria, why do you think that they say that kind of thing, like the thousand planets? Because, you know, when you sit and think about it for a moment, you really do have, you just start asking questions. Like, what, what are those thousand planets actually going to look like? I mean, I suppose at the moment it is also part of their sort of marketing campaign, isn't it? I mean... We've already said this is like their big game that's coming up. And, you know, if we said this is going to be a huge game and you'll get to go to a city, that would be pretty underwhelming. Whereas if they say it's this big game and it's got all these different systems and you can go to a thousand planets, like it kind of builds up that scope, I suppose, without really actually going into the nitty-gritty details at yet, as yet. But yeah. see, I, I actually, so I, I watched it and I was slightly disappointed like that whole reveal. But then I remember I spoke to Donovan about this a while ago and he was talking about like how you're kind of projecting what you think the game should be and not seeing what it is. So I actually went back and watched it again and I kind of tried to take away my expectations. And looking at it, okay, like yes, there is some work that needs to be done, but it is also, it is very much a Bethesda RPG. Like you can't deny that. And if people are looking to get that, that is what they're going to get. So maybe it's not so much the game, but our expectations at the moment that are more warped. I think if nothing else, Starfield definitely looks like a Bethesda RPG. And, you know, I say that as a, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It it, it does look like that. And those games sell millions of copies. It's like, if that's what you want, that is what you're going to get, clearly. So it's... I, I enjoy Bethesda RPGs. I, I, I enjoyed all the Fallout games. I enjoy, I enjoy Skyrim. The problem is, I think, because Bethesda, when they first announced Starfield, they... they, they the message was this was a completely new IP. They were going to try something completely new, whereas does it does appear that it does still very much stick to the same Bethesda formula. Um, it's just a lot more ambitious and in space. It, uh, like the way I describe it, it, it feels like Fallout in space. <laughs> I saw someone call it No Man's Skyrim, and I thought that was quite funny. 
Yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah, that's the thing. That kind of elevator pitch of sort of Fallout slash Skyrim in space, I'm totally here for. Like, I really enjoy the Fallout games. Skyrim's a great game. The idea of that in space, I'm totally down for. That, I think, works in, in it. It's a Bethesda game. Um, but I just feel like it's been overhyped probably because it's taken them so long to reveal any of it. And when they're saying things like, oh, there's a thousand planets and it's the biggest game ever and it's got this whatever in it. And, you know, the the, the story is questioning what's out there. What is the meaning of the universe? It's like, it's all these grand ideals that I'm like, just give me one planet with a good storyline. That's all I care about. Like, I don't need all these grand, grand ideals. And to me, it feels like, they've taken bits of so many other games to make the ultimate space game as that's going to be the best game ever, but it doesn't feel original to me. To me, it feels really soulless. It's lacking color and personality and a bit of magic to it. And I feel that I say that in the sense of, yes, I want space magic, but also just that kind of spark <laughs> of excitement. It just isn't there for me. Um, I don't want to be, shooting bullets from a shotgun in space at the very least give me a laser gun like it's sci-fi it's a fantasy i want something more what i want is the next mass effect and that's not going to happen to go back to victoria's point of (laughs) expectations um they're clearly going for a very like realistic it's very grounded yeah it's a very grounded realistic vision of space and that for me just feels unimaginative but then that's just what i would want from a space game but then they they've gone more into customization than I thought they would. Like I didn't I wasn't expecting the um like to be able to customize and like pick your crew for your spaceship. Like I thought that was quite an interesting inclusion. I thought the I, spaceship stuff looked really fun, the customizing that, flying that, that looked great. It's a shame you can't fly to space, but it's yeah, it's not the yes. end of the world. Um Yeah. Apart from Starfield then, we should uh, talk about some other things. Uh, that were out this week big and small games alike there were plenty to choose from ed what caught your eye um well there was one i mentioned to you before this and then i suddenly remembered another another one and i'm so annoyed with myself that i forgot it and that's that we finally saw silk song which i've been super excited about um i love the original Mm. hollow knight it's a fantastic game and we've all been wanting not all some of us have been wanting information um, for Silk Song for so long. And to know that, okay, there's not a release date, but it's definitely in the next 12 months. I'm hopeful that, you know, we might see more of it at a direct um, with Nintendo soon, but I'm really, really excited that we finally got to see a little bit more of that. Um, it's kind of just more Hollow Knight, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, so I'm I'm excited about that. Um, but I was also really impressed by the Devolver show, and they only showed like four games, and it was very short, but it meant that we actually got a decent look at what those games are, and they were all interesting, memorable indie games that I think are doing something a bit different. So um, I keep getting the name wrong, but The Plucky Squire... <laughs> Uh, got it right, is I think really, looks really, really interesting. It's got this sort of top-down 2D Zelda-y storybook kind of feel to it. Um, It's the uh, artist whose name I've forgotten, um, James Turner, who worked on Pokemon. Um, It's got, I think, almost like a Tintin-esque kind of uh, character style, uh, which I really, really like in this storybook fashion. However, you can then go out of the storybook into the 3D space around it on the desk which sounds like it could have some really, really interesting puzzles to it. Um, so that, I think, just looked visually, and also the gameplay implications of it, I think, looked really, really interesting. Um, 
And there was also the skate game from that same show as well, which again has a really interesting visual style um, and is sort of skateboarding, but done in a slightly different way. So I think those games just were completely unexpected and just completely different to anything else. So they, they were two that really stood out to me. Devolver was a great show for less is more. And I think other shows can learn from that in terms of you bring four games, but make them more memorable. And you can probably remember most of those four games, if not all of them, after the show finishes, which maybe you wouldn't say for some of the others. Mm. Like Victoria, you'd, you'd what, laugh what, at Nintendo, eye? like in the past, they would do an entire direct on one game. But you're like, but at least I remember what that game was and I got a really good look at what it meant. It wasn't the quick 20 second trailer or two minute trailer amongst loads of other ones. It's here's a deep dive into this and why you should play it. And I think that's really what has been missing for me for the last few days. Yeah, interesting to see PlayStation move to that one game showcase as well. Victoria? Okay, so I have three. Um, one I'll just quickly mention because we kind of discussed it last week was the American Arcadia from the Call of Duty devs out of the blue. I think that looks really good. Like, it looks colourful, it looks interesting, it's quite a cool concept. So that one I'm really looking forward to. Um, the second one was also, I think, from Devolver, was called Cult of the Lamb, which I just think it looks kind of like... I don't know, it's got a good mix of my personalities, which is slightly dark, but also very cute. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, also, the demo again, of that is up on Steam, if you want to play it. There you go, the demo is up on Steam. Uh, so that, I think, looks really good. Um, and another one, which has got a demo on Steam, which I'm so, so like, enamoured with, is Agent 64, Spies Never Die. Uh, just because... <laughs> <laughs> I know, awesome. I know. Uh, just because I am a huge James Bond nerd, and GoldenEye 007 was such a key, like, core memory of my childhood. Uh, you know, I remember playing that with my brothers. I remember having so much fun with that. And this is, again, kind of going, like, talking about expectations versus reality. I was really hopeful for the news of GoldenEye coming back, and it didn't. And I was really upset because that was at the Microsoft show that I'd kind of, like, built up this expectation. But then they, at the PC gaming show, they showed me Agent 64, and I was just like, that saved the night for me. I was so happy <laughs> to see that, just that whole James Bond aesthetic again. It's got so, an Iron Orbit name, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was even, I, I think I wrote about this in my article, there's even an image of Guy, like, clipping someone off in the toilet. Like, it was just, like, you do at the start of Goldeneye. <laughs> it had that toilet store moment where you shoot a guy in the head, and it was just, wow, well done. <laughs> I actually I got so excited like that night I usually don't text my brothers um late at night because they're busy busy men with fans of their own but I was like oh my god Edward James look at this and I messaged them and I woke them up and they were very excited as well <laughs> Ishrek what uh got you texting people <laughs> <laughs> I mean we already spoke about Starfield but I think the only other few things I mean, so there's Call of Duty, but that's just because I'm a big first-person shooter fan. And it's not even that, like, that game's overly ambitious. It's just that it just looks like a competent first-person shooter. And we haven't had one of those in a very long time. <laughs> because uh, Halo's been kind of a mixed bag. And 2042 continues to be, well, a disaster. Um, but apart from that, it, I'm really looking forward to the return of the Dead Space-style um, game. So... You have the Callisto Protocol and also the um, Fort Solace with um, with Troy Baker and Roger Clark. That also looked quite interesting. Um, I wish you saw more gameplay of that, that game, but 
I, I am quite happy to see like the revival of the sort of space horror genre. Um, so I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to that. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Callisto Protocol was up there for me. Um, you wait five years for another Dead Space game and then suddenly there's basically at least two in development. Space horror is very like a bus in that way, isn't it? Yeah. Nice <laughs> bus which cuts off your limbs. Uh, speaking of that, <laughs> I really loved the uh, decent look that we got. Well, it was quick, but uh, we know that it's coming now. Resident Evil 4 uh, remake. And uh, we got a few seconds of gameplay. And uh, quite an intriguing promise that has me interested in it. I, I've played that game more times than I can count. I think I've completed that game more times than any other. And I don't know how excited I would be. I mean, I'd be excited, but I don't know how excited I would be for another kind of polish, uh, another round of refreshing that game. Um, this remaster that they're doing looks quite different, um, keeping the tone and the overall storyline, but tweaking a lot of things, rebuilding it from the ground up, um, expanding on it, it looks like, with scenes that weren't in the original and... Um, so I have a question for you on that then. So I it. I loved Resi 4 as well. Um, and then when I was watching that trailer, I was really excited. But from I know like nothing was particularly confirmed, but when I was watching that trailer, it looked like that was quite early on in the story that they were showing the gameplay from. And visually, they darkened it all down. And I was wondering, how do you guys feel? Because I remember when I played Resi 4 for the first time, I remember feeling kind of uh, slightly like, I wouldn't say cocky, but like because it was all in daylight, I was like, I'll be fine. And then I kind of love the fact that it was this juxtaposition of nice bright daylight, but with really like chainsaws everywhere and, you know, angry villagers and whatnot. <laughs> so how do you feel about them changing the kind of vibe of the lighting? It does look like the time of day has changed a bit. And uh, I'm a little cautious about that just because it works so well in the original. The fact that it all took place within sort of... Um, 18 hours, you know, you were dropped off at the village in the late afternoon. Um, and it was that sort of, it was kind of like a ochre brown palette as you stumbled around the countryside and then the village. And then um, Leon gets knocked out and it's nighttime. And then you revisit the village. And that difference now, because you're going through it in darkness, makes it all feel fresh. And then you've got the castle at night and then the island and the, at the end you know i'm spoiling the whole game here in terms of the times of day but you know like i don't think it's too much of a spoiler the the island um is in the early hours of the morning and the end of the game is at sunrise and it works so well um i'm i'm sort of surprised that they're changing that a bit but i'm sure they have their reasons it does look like the beginning of the game because leon still has his nice jacket that he loses when it he was the jacket out. that i <laughs> yeah. clocked as well yeah. like, he doesn't have that at night time in the original game but i don't know I'll, I'll see how it plays and and why they've made that choice i'm intrigued but i'm very happy well, for them to play with it i mean it does feel like they are adding a sort of darker they're trying to creepier horror atmosphere and vibe to it um and for me like i really enjoy resident evil as a whole but that game as well like the sort of campness of it like it is really silly in places the whole what are you buying and like all that kind of stuff it's yeah. so <laughs> silly and to for them to sort of darken it and make it more horror i'm worried that that might tip the balance of that 
campiness sort of element to it, which I really hope that they're able to maintain. Um, equally, I do feel like Village, for me, had a lot of campiness to it, especially with like Lady D and all that kind of stuff. But then that also had a quite a dark horror atmosphere in places. It was very sort of gothic. So, which I feel was sort of inspired by a lot of four and in, in, in a lot of what they did there. So, I think playing Village makes me hopeful that they can maintain that with four. But I, I still want some comedy in there. I still need the what are you buying? It's got to happen. There are a lot of weird, yeah. If they don't do <laughs> what are you buying, not enough cash, stranger. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't have that, I mean, that's got to be in there. There's a lot of weird stuff, like. Um, the one of the later antagonists is this weird little kid who's actually supposed to be really old. You never really get an explanation for that. Um, <laughs> Typical Resi. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there with Ashley that perhaps has not aged that well. It, I think. I think that they do. They did need to make some changes to modernize some of this. Um, and I'd rather they just go and say like, "This is a reimagining of it, and this is our take for it in 20." 22 then sort of start tweaking with the original which we saw with the recent uh facebook oculus or whatever it's called now meta quest version of it where they like they cut bits and pieces and uh and and it was you know rather inelegantly done i think so yes um i'm i'm excited to see and hear more of that and actually you know it's not coming that far away it's uh within the next year so that is cool Speaking of next year, then, uh, maybe to wrap up, uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how you would like E3 slash Summer Game Fest slash all of this nonsense to to look next year. We've got um, the promise of both E3 and Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest coming back together, which um, will be interesting. Ed, uh, what would you like to see next year? Do you want a big return to in-person LA conventions? Yes, because I've never been and I'd love to go. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> you know, I, E3 has, has been such a big thing for me growing up being interested in gaming. It's like every June you're like, yes, E3 is coming. It's like Game of Christmas. And you're excited for this time of year to see what's going to be coming up. And I think without that sort of tentpole um, event in the middle of it, it feels a bit loose. Um, so I would like to see... Um, a big core event that journalists can cover but also it makes it easier for for everyday people to understand what it is that they that they're watching um i think the main thing i want from the presentations even if they are more sort of video based is i would rather as we mentioned earlier have less games but much more in depth um you know the starfield thing however disappointed some people might be with it at least we got a really really good look at gameplay and we can now understand okay now i get what they're trying to achieve with this and i think if they did that for maybe four or five games for an hour i would actually be happier with that than just a long string of trailers that seem very similar um so i think for me it's it's gameplay that i want to see from these events more than anything else what do you think victoria I think I pretty much echo exactly what Ed said. I, I would like to see it being slightly less erratic and much more cohesive uh, in the future, uh, just because, as we've said multiple times today, it's it's been such a sort of like drawn out, spread out, bitty two weeks. Um, and similarly, I would really like to see, similar to the Starfield, like, here's your trailer, 
here's a little breakdown of what we're doing. Here's some gameplay in this like hub because it got to the point where you know, if I want to watch a trailer for something, I could just go and do that on YouTube. Whereas I feel like it's an event, so it should be more eventful. So, yeah, I think just lots of little trailers. I, I mean, I could have just been watching, like I said, a YouTube video and having it just like filing through different trailers for PlayStation. Like there, there was no actual occasion, I suppose, I felt. Hmm. It's right. Who's going to win E3 or Jeff Keighley in a fight? Who'd you put your money on? <laughs> Maybe they'll make up. <laughs> No, <laughs> that, 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 them not making up, I put money on. But um, I don't know. I think the cat's out of the bag now. I think, I mean, Jeff and E3 are never going to make up. I think the the platform holders are very happy with having the flexibility of hosting their events whenever they feel like and not being drawn to a certain you know time slot. So I think even if E3 does return next year, um, I think it's too late. I think most of the major publishers and platform holders will just do their own thing. Maybe in around the same time, but... Um, not as part of E3 or, or Summer Game Fest for that matter. So I, I, I think I think we're past that. I think we just have to get used to uh, a, a disparate number of of shows um, up in the same time for us anyway. Yeah, I I agree with some of that. I think that these all of these itty bitty shows are going to stick around, but I do think that E3 has the brand power still to coax some of the bigger companies back maybe they'll still do their own digital events but when it comes to a big physical show i wouldn't be surprised to see them back under one roof um some of them anyway um yeah it'd be nice to have the chance to have more hands-on stuff like more hands-on demo time next year yep Yep. if it was all in one place that you could go and like you've seen this game and now you get to go and have a little play around and that'd be good well, we will uh, we will see. Time will tell. But uh, for now, we should uh, probably leave it there and clock off and uh, let the future unfold itself uh, while we go get to lunch. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us <laughs> this week. If you've made it this far, it's much appreciated. And thank you, uh, all of you guys, for joining me. Um, Ed, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Ed underscore Knights with an N. Victoria? I am little chop shop gal. And it's right. You can find me at ISARXQ underscore. And I'm Tom Phillips CG. Thanks for joining us again. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.